can uh, turn in your Bibles to the book of Haggai. If you go to Matthew and go backwards, it's right at the end of the Old Testament. We are going through the minor prophets, and uh, we are coming now to a, uh, it's a very small book here of Haggai, two chapters, and uh, it's right, it's starting a new a new theme here where we're looking at all the old the, the, the prophets there in the Old Testament, the minor prophets, they all, we're looking at prior to uh, these last three were uh, before the exile. So today we want to look at Haggai, and Haggai was after the exile. So there was two prophets uh, that, that had prophesied during the exile, Ezekiel and Daniel, but Haggai's uh, Zechariah and Malachi will be after the exile. So it's where, and, uh, and he, he prophesied a very short time, four months. Uh, we'll see he has four messages and he gave it in uh, four months. So he overlapped with Zechariah. Zechariah would have been preaching at the same time. But after these three books here, then God was silent for 400 years till we get to the New Testament. Until we get to John the Baptist, he came out and then the crowds went out to hear him. So God had his prophets all through time. Through the Old Testament, God warned his people. Uh, the, uh, pre, uh, before the exile, it was prophet after prophet after prophet, warning the people, uh, calling for repentance and giving the, uh, uh, prophesying the destruction to come, prophesying the exile, even prophesying the return. Which, we, which happened at this time here. So they were a lot of warning. Now when we get to these prophets here, Haggai and Zechariah, we have a lot of uh, maybe more comfortable words, a lot of uh, encouragement, encouragement. So the, uh, you know, God warned his people over and over again, and uh, they refused to listen. So this is God's love reaching out in a different way when he sends them into exile. They, they refused to listen to the prophets, and this punishment did work, because after they came back from the, after they came back from the exile, they never went into idolatry again. We see they were cured of that. So, uh, so what happened is the, uh, the, the God allowed the Assyrians to come into the northern kingdom, and they went into captivity, and again, later on, God allowed the, the southern kingdom to be taken by the Babylonians. And they came in, and one of the things they did is they destroyed the temple. Yes, the beautiful temple that Solomon built, all the magnificent uh, building that was down to a heap of rubble. They took along the, some of the gold and silver vessels back to Babylon, but it was left to be desolate in a pile of stones, a pile of ruins, just like Micah prophesied that it would, uh, Jerusalem would become... Uh, right where the temple stood would become like a forest. So this was a 70 years of captivity. So they came in and they deported a lot of the Jews off to Babylon, which would be about 900 miles northeast into Iraq. Uh, and Daniel would have been one of them. Daniel and his three friends went along. And I believe Daniel had a lot of influence on the kings. He spanned a lot of the kings that... Uh, and a lot of the different kingdoms and the kings and had a lot of influence. Then the Babylons were overtaken by the Medes and the Persians and Cyrus finds himself the king. And uh, God moves on behalf of this pagan king, Cyrus, to allow the Jews to return to their homeland and rebuild the temple. 
and the Jews found favor with Cyrus and uh, maybe because of Daniel, but he sent them back to rebuild the city and especially to rebuild the temple. He's commanded them. He said, the Lord God of heaven charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem. And he told them, uh, he gave them the permission and paid for supplies and out of the king's treasury and Zerubbabel and Joshua led the first group back. About 5,000 of them, we read that in Ezra chapters 3 and 4. So Zerubbabel would have been a descendant of David and the kingly line, and Joshua would have been of the high priest line. So they, uh, they uh, went back, led these, the group back. I believe a lot of priests were along. And Cyrus said, those that want to go can go, and those that, that want to stay can stay. So it wasn't mandatory. It was voluntary. But those that stayed had to help with finance in financial ways. So there was a three different waves of return through Ezra and Nehemiah later on, but many returned, and, uh, and I don't know that Daniel returned, maybe because of his age, it doesn't say, but so I believe the ones that returned were maybe more of the ones that were uh, motivated by spiritual interests. There was no, there was no uh, phys, uh, financial benefit to go back to this desolate place that was nothing there for 70 years. So I believe it was the more... Uh, committed ones that were going back. And they knew it's going to be hard. They knew that Jerusalem is going to be inhabited for, uninhabited for 70 years. And what are they going to find? That huge, gigantic pile of rubble. So they had a huge task in front of them. And Ezra talks about it. the first thing they did is building an altar and uh, started the sacrifices. And, and that's the first thing Abraham did when he went uh, from the Ur to the Promised Land. He built an altar and thank the Lord for seeing him, for uh, watching over him. So, so it's interesting that the, the, the route that these Jews took to go back to Jerusalem is very similar to the route that Abraham took years earlier when he left Ur. Ur would have been close to where Babylon was. So they might have took the same route or similar route back to uh, Jerusalem. So, and again, we could say they're repeating the story of Abraham, you know, leaving family, leaving relatives, leaving their homes, leaving their livelihoods, and to a country for many of them that they didn't see. Older ones would have saw, you know, would have, their older ones along that would have remembered before, but mostly a younger generation that didn't, to the land that they didn't see. So there was a huge task in front of them. And... Uh, there was excitement in the air. Can you imagine going back and, you know, here we are, God's people in the land that God promised to our forefathers, and many of them didn't see it, and they started sacrifices. They built an altar, and they even had the celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. They got materials and laid the foundation. And, you know, with time, this honeymoon ended. You know, the excitement was replaced with discouragement. I mean, the sheer size of the project would have been overwhelming, would have brought discouragement. Uh, and then they had the opposition from the, the, the uh, local people there, the Samaritans. They didn't like what was happening. And they, uh, the Samaritans were the people that the Assyrians brought in, and they intermingled. And they, uh, so we, this is the beginnings of the Jewish and the Samaritan hatred that we see all the way into the New Testament. So at first they said, you know, this opposition, they said, well, they want to help build, build. And they said, no, we don't think so. And then they, then they got really hired counselors. That would be like hiring lawyers. And they got letters sent back. And they actually got us, the king that was, didn't, wasn't familiar with Cyrus's decree, send a cease and desist letter back. 
that you, they were to stop. In Ezra chapter 5, we can see that. So they had a lot of things against them. You know, the sheer size of the project and all this opposition. And then in chapter 2, we're going to see that the older ones that remembered the former temple started talking about, you know, well, this, you can hardly call this a temple, you know. And there was, uh, the morale was declining. And so this was all the, uh, the, uh, the setting here. The sheer size of the project, the opposition, the cease and desist letter, and now all these that remember the former temple that says this uh, is, isn't even called, you could hardly call it a temple. And so this created this really cloud of discouragement, cloud of discouragement, and this turned them into their, they were almost paralyzed. It's like their tires were flat. And the building stopped. You know, for 16 years, two years, this first two years was the, the honeymoon, and after, and 16 years, they did nothing, nothing. You know, they got life, used to life without the temple, and it did, didn't bother them. So you can see a little bit, I led up to this, so we can see the, the, the way it came to the place of neglect. You know, when something stops, it is hard to bring it back and get that roll, uh, uh, ball rolling again. But this is where Haggai comes in. This is Haggai's, uh, he's a prophet, took a prophet from the Lord, a word from the Lord, to stir up a desire to rebuild the temple. That's the gist of the book. Haggai, sent to re, uh, he was sent to rebuke their apathy and indifference. He's the one that said, hey guys, let's build. And he got them motivated. Unlike, you know, there was, unlike all the other prophets we looked at, there was not a positive response. And we're going to see a positive response. You know, uh, they listened and they got to work. You know, the opposers that were there before and got this cease and desist letter, well, they were active as well. And Ezra tells us how they sent a letter to the new king, Darius, and uh, that would be a nephew of Cyrus. And he said, instead of sending a cease and desist letter back, he sends a letter back that says, let the house be built. And he says, they have to help. And uh, with, the, with the finances and the animals and whatever they need. And he says anybody's, uh, anybody that opposes it, he threatens to hang them on timbers from their own house. So this was a different, a different tune to this letter here. So that's the setting that Haggai comes in the scene. Now we want to look at Haggai verse one, chapter 1, verse 1 for a little introduction. It says, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet, unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jesedak, the high priest, saying. So here, Haggai dates his prophecy to the T. I mean, you can tell exactly what, what first day of the sixth month and the second day of Darius. And all of his four messages are dated that way. So he, he preached over like about four months period of time. And he has four messages. The first message is in chapter 1, and it's basically, let's build. And the second message is in chapter 2, and it's talking about the, uh, the older people <clears throat> that said, you know, you can hardly call this a temple. And then he was called to preach again, to speak again concerning the discouragement that brought. And then uh, the third one is in, uh, like in chapter 2, the, the, second, the middle of it there. We have uh, about building with clean hands. There was sin in the camp. And then number four, the fourth message at the end of the book there is a personal message to Zerubbabel. A personal message to Zerubbabel. 
So I don't know how far we'll get here. We're going to spend most of our time in chapter one. So I don't have a PowerPoint to time in. We'll see where we go. Um, in one, and uh, so this book here is, is, is by Haggai to Zerubbabel, verse one. Now he was the governor. He couldn't be the king because Cyrus was uh, the, uh, uh, they were under Persian rule so that he couldn't be a king. He was a governor, but he was the civil authority. And then Joshua was the religious. He was the line of the high priests. So the book is addressed to the leaders. And in verse two, it says, thus saith the Lord of hosts, saying, this people say the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. So here God knew what they were saying. He repeats what they've been saying. He says, you people, this people say. So God really, he, he saw what was really wrong and how their dreams collapsed and he saw why they were depressed. I mean, he could see it and he speaks through Haggai. And he says, thus saith the Lord. You know, that phrase, and this book has 35 uh, or 36 verses, and that phrase comes in 20, 26 times. So it's a message from the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. And the people say that it's not the right time. They didn't choose the right time. They, did, they, they believed that, it was, that they were supposed to come back, but it wasn't the right time. They should have waited. They, maybe they could have had more money or whatever. But in other words, they were saying, well, they're not ready to build yet. They're not ready to build. Later would be better. But, you know, it, uh, they, they knew what they were to, supposed to do. They knew that's what they specifically returned to rebuild and specifically the temple. So it wasn't ignorance. I believe it was their, the adverse circumstances that brought this lack of desire. They didn't feel the need to f finish the project or so you know, it's a problem with desire. But here the prophet gets right to the point. Verse 3 says, Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, It is time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses. Is it time for you, to, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? For this house lieth waste. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink and you are not filled with drink. You clothe you, and there is no warmth. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it in a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood, and, bring, and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for me, and lo, it came too little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why? saith the Lord of hosts, because my house is waste, and ye run every man unto your own house. Therefore the heavens over you is stayed with dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, then Joshua, the son of Jesedad, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord did send, had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the, in, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. 
And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the son of Sheatil, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, and the son of Jezedak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did the work in the house of the Lord, their, of the, their God, their, the host their God. And in the, in the fourth and twentieth day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. So here he gets right to the point. <clears throat> he says, he gives them a rebuke. He says, what about your houses? What about your sealed houses? You know, and my house lies waste. Now, a sealed house would be a house with paneling. You know, we think of paneling as a commodity item, you know, uh, but that was a luxury. That was uh, uh, possibly imported. He says, look at your house and then look at my house. And then he says, consider your ways. Stop and consider. And that was a, you see that in the Old Testament a lot. Consider. And it's more than simply thinking about something. It is literally means to set your hearts to your ways. It speaks of a willing and a careful examination. Like examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Like it says in 2 Corinthians there. Or examine ourselves before communion. It's taking a step back. It's like Haggai got the leaders there and they stepped back and they said, you know, uh, the temple's in ruins and look at your houses. Yes, the altar was built, the foundations was laid, but my house lay waste. And he says, and he repeats, consider your ways in verse 7. How are things going for you? In verse 6, you know, he says, you, you, you plant a lot, but you don't harvest. You, uh, you eat, but you're not satisfied. And I, I didn't think, I couldn't imagine. When I eat a good meal, I feel satisfied. They're eating and not satisfied. They wear clothes and they're not warm. And they earn money with a bag with holes. And then he repeats, consider your ways. Now the people were in poverty. It seems they could have figured that something was wrong. You know, 16 years with a, a bag with holes, like a checkbook that just has holes, and just money's just gone. You know, they, they didn't get it, something was wrong. And you know, we can uh, identify a little bit with, uh, with our recent inflation and uh, you know, to a checkbook that, that just runs empty quick. You know, like a bag with holes. But you know, this is, this is not about poor management. We were talking about good financial concepts and principles, but this is not about poor management in our finances. This is not about excessive spending. This is about God blowing on it. This is, God says, I did it. I caused this. This was a curse, like for disobedience. I did it, he says. This, you know, God was withholding blessing. It wasn't tough times. It was God withholding. He did it. I blew on it. Because, why? Because my house lies waste. You, he says in verse 9, You looked for much and came in little, because my house is in waste. You know, you're running to your own houses first instead of running to my house first. My house is second. My house should be first. You know, it's not, it's not that it was wrong for them to build their own houses. What was wrong, what's called out here, is that God's house was neglected. God's house was neglected. God wasn't first. God wants to be first. You see, priorities mean a lot. Priorities are something that we have to get right. 
if we're going to put God first, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, we could say, well, does it really make a difference what we do first? Well, it does. Because what we do, what we put on the first on the priority list is what gets done. You know, whatever's on that top of the priority list, that usually is the first thing we do and it gets done. And, uh, and what we actually do is what's first. What's first in our life. You know, I had to think about... Um, Saturdays is a day off, and you have a day off from work, and you, you, you have your honey-to-do list in the refrigerator, and you have a little project out in the shop you want to do. I was talking to the man, I guess. You know, what's first? What do we do first? Um, you know, what we, what's first in line? And let's take it a little further. Maybe our, our devotional life. Mornings, getting up and having time for our prayer, our Bible reading and prayer time. Is that first or is that second? Or is the snooze button first and then we don't have time and we'll get it tonight? There's a lesson here and God wants to be first. What about church attendance? You know, is, it, is, uh, is that first when the church doors are open? Is that first? Or is that just if it works out? Uh, maybe it depends how I feel. You know, how do, what priorities make a difference? God wants to be first. He's, they're called out because God wasn't first. And uh, in thinking about uh, in, in church attendance, you know, when the church doors are open, when we're not here, maybe the question to ask would be, well, what did I do? What did I do? You know, was a child homesick? Or did I just want to sleep in? Or did I didn't feel like it? So it comes down to more than just, it's pri what do we put first? What do we put first? There's a lesson here that we need to have our priorities right. God called them out here. And God knows if he's first or not. We're not fooling him. He knows if he's first. You know, today we can put our own wills ahead of the Lord's. Appreciated Gary and the devotional this morning. When we, when we turn over our lives to Christ, we turn away from ourselves and we serve Christ. And that's what we need to do, putting off, putting away ourself. You know, making excuses. You know, whether it's whatever they, they had their excuses, you know, we have ours. But, you know, it comes down to our priorities. It comes down to our desires and our values and different. But what, 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 what really gets us going? You know, I had... Uh, I was, uh, recently there was a ball game, and those of you at, that, uh, I, I, we just moved into a house, and I can sit in my living room and watch a ball game. So some of you have been in my uh, living room there and watched a ball game in the, in the, in the afternoon. But you know, the, I don't, I, I do watch it sometimes, but uh, there was one game that was uh, very interesting because it went into overtime. They were six, and uh, it was score six and six, and I had the blue team and the red team, and you know, they were, and this got loud, and they were going, they went into uh, the fourth and the fifth inning to break this tie, and I've never heard it so loud. And I must admit, I was drawn in. I wanted to see who was gonna break this tie. And I wondered, you know, do I put that same kind of zeal in for the kingdom work? Do I put that same kind of, I, when it comes down to priorities, you know, what is important to me? What is important to me? Is that, um, am I putting that same kind of 
zeal into whatever my hobbies are, whatever that's, uh, anyway, pushing God out is number one. Haggai warns us that we lose out. We're the losers if we don't put God first. God says all these problems you plant and you don't get and you eat and that's satisfied, you have a bag with holes, that's because I did it. You didn't put me first. It's all because you didn't put me first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. First things first. And uh, if we do that, everything will be fine if we put Christ first. So if we have, you know, if we are at the place and we feel like we have a bag with holes, just maybe we should stop and consider, are we putting Christ first? Are we putting Christ first? So the solution is in verse 8. The solution there says, go up and build. Go up and build. Get to work. Finish the project. The solution was simple. Follow through with the plans. Get the wood. It was sacrifice and inconvenience. You know, and three weeks later, they were rebuilding. Three weeks. And in five years, they had the temple done. Now, the temple was much smaller than the first one, but it was still a temple. And they did with what they had. And that's all God expects of us, to do what we can. Do what we can. Haggai's few anointed words from the Lord, and they obeyed the voice of the Lord. They obeyed. Fear the Lord. They feared the Lord. Verse 12. You know, before, for those 16 years, they were fearing their enemies. They were allowing their enemies to dictate their fear. And the Lord speaks to them, says, now is the time to build. Now. You have been putting it off. I want you to get busy, says the, the, uh, the, the, says the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord overtook the fear of their enemy. And it says in verse 14, the spirit of the Lord, uh, the spirit of Zerubbabel and Joshua and all the people, uh, they stirred up the, the, uh, the, the spirit of them. And they were encouraged and they were motivated to build. Uh, now, it's all through Haggai. The fear of the Lord was instilled in them. The fear of the Lord. And it says the Lord stirred them. The, the Lord stirred up the spirit of uh, uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua. And that means, that literally means that he op they opened their eyes. They, they were spiritually awakened. They were asleep. They were awakened out of their sleep. And it's like their tires got inflated. They were flat. Now they're inflated. So they, uh, the Lord did it. The Lord used Haggai to, uh, to preach his anointed word. And, uh, and they, they feared the Lord and obeyed. And, and uh, they got to build. And that's what God wants today. God wants us to be building his kingdom. And in verse 13, he says, I am with you. It's a promise. So he has a rebuke. They, they, they accepted the rebuke, they, they feared the Lord, obeyed, and then he comes along with a promise, a promise of encouragement. He says, I am with you. And in verse 13, he calls it the Lord's message. In the Lord's message unto the people saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord here, uh, it's the message God gave them. I am with you, declares the Lord. And that's all that he needs to say. That's all that we need to hear. That's all they needed to hear. That's all we need to hear. When we're going through a hard time, when we're going through something difficult, the adverse uh, circumstances, all we need to hear is, I am with you. I am with you. I'm right beside you. I, uh, I'll hold your hand. I won't let go. I'll carry you. You know, I'll see you through. Just trust me. Trust me. I'm here. 
That's what God is saying. I'm here, trust me. And what a promise. And that promise is extended in the New Testament. Lo, I am with thee always. And in Hebrews, I will never leave thee or forsake thee. See, he, he will be, he promised, uh, it's a promise they didn't have to fear their opposers. They could be, uh, the Lord is with them if they're about his work. And then also another phrase that we'll uh, take out of chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadat, the high priest. And be strong, O ye people of the land, saith the Lord, saith the Lord. And I, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. Three times here he promises, he tells them to be strong, to Joshua and to Zerubbabel and to all the people. And, uh, and that's a, uh, another encouragement there, words of encouragement. The Lord is with us and be strong. Uh, they need to endure. The, uh, this strength here that's talking about is not muscles. This is a power outside themselves if they allowing the Lord to work to be with them. The Lord is, uh, it's the foundation of, their, of our commitment. The Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. So one of the things that we want to see that we can't miss here is that Haggai is an encourager. He is, they were super discouraged. They were super discouraged and uh, at, at the time when Haggai came along, and I think we need more Haggai's today. You know, all Haggai did was he came alongside of a, a people that were, di were, were very discouraged and discouraged and encouraged them at a time when they needed it the most. They just needed that shot in the arm. They were weighed down and they were discouraged and they, Haggai came along and said, you know, if you put God first, just put God first. You know, be strong, be strong. Uh, allow God to take care of it. Don't fear the people, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. You see all the encouraging words? Yes, there was a, a rebuke there, but he, he was encouragement. He gave them uh, he, he encouraged them and they obeyed and, and they, uh, he stirred, God stirred Zerubbabel and Joshua's heart and he used Haggai to do it. And likewise, and five years later, it was, the temple was done. And I wonder if he, if you and I maybe know somebody that's discouraged and can he, he can use us to go and to just encourage that person. Get alongside of them. Say, God, God is with you. God is, God will help you. And uh, be, be a word of encouragement. You know, we don't need, uh, what they didn't need is a, 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 a good chewing out. They just needed a word of encouragement. And they got, and they obeyed. And, and things happened. Things happened. Then in verse, uh, chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 8, we see a motivation. We see a motivation here. <clears throat> At the end of verse 8, he says, uh, go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, says the Lord. So here we have the, uh, the God is what he, he, he'll, he, he's glorified. God is pleased when church building is taking place. God was pleased when the temple was being built. God is glorified when they were working at the temple. And today God is glorified and pleased when church building is happening. You know, the reason why God wanted the temple finished is so he could receive the honor and glory that was due him. You know, we need to put God in his rightful place. To, he's worthy of all our praise and adoration, respect and reverence. 
You know, so finishing the temple for them brought honor and glory to God. And what did that say about their lack of interest in building? What did that say about their lack to the to the onlookers, the the uh, the opposers, and to the other nations? You know, it said, you know, b before it said that God, their God, wasn't worth much. They well, He wasn't worth their time. You know, and not worth worth their service. God's He wasn't first place. And uh, so it's, we we can ask the question: What does what do onlookers say today when they see our commitment to church life? When they see our commitment? what you and I are doing to, to build the church. God is glorified in, uh, when church work happens, the church building. So one of the reasons the church exists is for the testimony it gives to the great greatness of God. Uh, in Ephesians 3.10, it says, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. It's through the church. It's through the existence of the church as part of the plan of salvation that it's, the, it's a witness to the manifold wisdom of God. The church is to bring honor and glory to God. God wants to be glorified in it. He wants to take pleasure in it, just like the temple. So the church today is not a building. It's uh, Old Testament was a building. Today, it is the people. We are the temple of the uh, body of Christ. Building is just the meeting house. In uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Know you not that you're the temples of God? Stephen, when he was preaching just before, his, uh, before he was martyred there, he said, The Most High dwelleth not in temples made by hands. It's not the building. That what takes, but it's maybe what takes place in the building, the worship. When we come together, we're, there's an acknowledgement of him. There's worship happening this morning. You know, it's not about the roof. It's not about the carpet. It's not about the windows. But it, it's, it's, uh, we are the, it's the worship of him. We are the temple of the, of the living God. We are the temple. Paul in Ephesians makes that point. We as the church, we are being built up as a spiritual house, a dwelling place for God by his spirit. So we, as the church of Jesus Christ. We are the temple of God and the dwelling place of God. It's amazing. It's amazing. So what kind of vessel, what kind of temple am I for God to dwell in? You know, another thing that we can look at here is the, uh, uh, another lesson that we could look at is a broken down temple won't rebuild itself. A broken down temple will not rebuild itself. It took commitment. It took uh, sacrifice and hard work and it takes that in our Christian lives to, be, to build the temple of God. It takes commitment, takes hard work, takes priorities with a purpose. So there, there's the, uh, the first message. Now I would like to look at the, uh, the second message. It goes hand in hand in chapter 2. We see uh, they're looking back here now instead of looking ahead. In uh, chapter 2, it says, In the seventh month, in one and the twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the, uh, the, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jesedak, the high priest, and, to, and the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison as of nothing? 
Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, Joshua, the son of Jezedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations. And the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. In this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. So there we have Haggai responding to some of the older ones that were... Uh, talking about the first temple and they'd say things like you know well you can hardly call this a temple and it says in our verses here is is it not in your eyes as nothing they were making comparisons and it was smaller it probably was less glorious it probably didn't have the gold like Solomon had and the resources that Solomon had but the old, older people were there just talking about what they saw and what they remembered. And I was wondering if we, uh, you know, today we often talk about the good old days. You know, we go back, older ones, we talk about the good old days. And it's usually in things of it being, being better, you know. Uh, but I wonder, I believe it's okay to reminisce and old things of old days. But I, I think here it was leading to discouragement to that younger generation. They were looking ahead and we're told we, we need to look ahead pressing on uh, forgetting the things that are past and pressing on so it I think there's a time where we can look back and learn from history but they were uh, the morale was declining because of the older people it came that it came that bad that Haggai came to speak about it God told Haggai to speak towards it so and Haggai repeats these encouraging words to them after he addresses it he says be strong Three times, for I am with you. And that's the encouragement. He talks about them coming out of Egypt. Uh, how he was with them in verse 5. As he was with them uh, coming out of Egypt, he'll be with them now. Fear ye not, be strong, fear the Lord. And then in verse 7, he turns to these discouraged leaders and says, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. And here's a phrase, this, this verse comes over in the New Testament in Hebrews, Hebrews 12. So it's, uh, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and establish my kingdom, possibly referring to the millennial kingdom. Uh, seven, in verse 7, the latter half there, it says, uh, the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. So the desire of all nations, I believe, is re a reference to Christ, the Messiah coming. So the temple that they were building now, the temple that they were building was the temple that uh, would have been there when Christ came, when Christ came. And Christ came, and uh, he was brought in, and Simeon blessed him. And uh, so I believe there was something of that temple that would be a, a more glorious, but I believe he is referring to the temple that will be there in the millennial kingdom. And uh, when he says uh, the desire of all nations represents the, uh, the uh, coming of Messiah, but this is the temple that will be when Christ comes. 
in verse 9 says, God promises the glory of the latter temple will far exceed the glory of the former temple. So this was a promise to these discouraged people. You know, older ones were saying how this is nothing, but he's saying, you know, what the, the, there's something's going to be far better coming in the future. And I believe this temple that he's talking about here in verse 9 is in the millennial kingdom because it says, in this place I will give peace. And that's when Christ will come and set up his, his kingdom and, uh, and establish peace. So I believe there's uh, the, another, another temple uh, that will be coming in the millennial kingdom that will be far more glorious than this one. So then in, uh, in verses 10 to 19, we have the, uh, a message there. And I think we'll, we, not that it's unimportant, it's very important, but I think Zechariah covers that one. Uh, and we will get to that next. So I think I'll go right at, uh, about the uh, sin in the camp and working. God wants us to work with clean hands. God wants his workers to work with clean hands. So <clears throat> let's go. Uh, we'll pick that up in Zechariah. But here in the last message yet is to Zerubbabel. And it's a very special message in verses 21 to 23. Now, it's a very special message to Zerubbabel because he was the governor. He was uh, from the kingly line of David. He would have been king, but they were under Persian rule. So Cyrus was the king, so he was governor. And after they, uh, they returned, they never had a monarchy again. God actually never wanted a monarchy. God allowed it, but it was not his desire. And after they came back, they never had a king again. And I believe the next king that will be on the throne will be descendant of David. Uh, Zerubbabel was a descendant of David, and he and Jesus Christ will come back again. In verse 22, it says, I will overthrow the nations of, of the thrones of kingdoms. Like the, uh, and, and he's going to overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of their brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, I will take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shetel, saith the Lord, I will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. So uh, he is, he's, when he overthrows these thrones of kingdoms, I believe it's referring to the battle of Armageddon. It says on that day, which day? The day when God destroys all the kingdoms, the nations. And, uh, and I believe this is a reference to him setting up his millennial kingdom when Christ sets up his kingdom. And in verse 23 is the promise to Zerubbabel. Now Zerubbabel was in the line of David and he says, I will make you my signet. I will make you my signet. And uh, when a law or decree was made by a king, he would press his ring into the wax and it would become sealed. It was his signet. signet his, it's where we get signature. And, uh, and, and when, uh, when a king, and then when that's, that's an do, uh, uh, authentic document, authentic uh, creed. And so the king would have his trusted servants with his signet. And Zerubbabel will have, he's promised in the millennial kingdom, I believe, he will be exalted to a position of, um, to serve in a position of authority, some kind of authority he will have. 
God says, I have chosen you to be my signet. I have chosen you, Zerubbabel. And what a promise. What a promise for Zerubbabel. He couldn't be the king under the Persian rule, but he promised him authority in the millennial kingdom. Well, that's the book of Haggai. What are the takeaways from Haggai? Put God first. Put God first. You know, stop and consider. Stop and consider. Consider your ways. You know, we learned a, break, a broken down temple is not going to build itself, rebuild itself. We, it takes work. It takes working together. Let us encourage one another to build the kingdom of God. Kingdom God, kingdom work, kingdom, whether we built uh, for them building the temple, for us doing kingdom work, whether it's studying to teach a Sunday school lesson, whether it's uh, uh, visiting someone, whether it's whatever it is in kingdom work, it pleases and glorifies God. Let's be involved in building his kingdom. Let's stand together for a word of prayer. We have a song then. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and love to us. Thank you for the many blessings that you pour out upon us. Thank you for the lessons that we can learn from Haggai. Help us to be encouragers. Of one, help us to, to, be, to be a Haggai and to be encourage uh, someone that is, has a cloud of discouragement over them. Father, help us to remember to put you first and that priorities do matter. Father, help us to, uh, to build your kingdom because we know that's when you are glorified. That's when you are pleased. So help us to be in, in, in active in kingdom work. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' worthy name. So one thing quick, uh, we're going to be going down to Lancaster County, so I think my wife and I will be leaving right away, so we won't be at the back. So God bless you. There's a city of